that you are a God of all gods. There is nothing like you. There was no one beside you, the scriptures say. You are the true and living God. All other gods are false and dead. And yet you have revealed yourself to us through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is from the beginning. He has always existed. He was with you in equality, and he is God. And we know you, Father, because we know your Son. And it stirs our heart and causes us to sing and rejoice, even in difficult times, even in changing times. You have so captured us. You've captured our heart and our mind, and it is easy to sing to you, even with heavy heart, because the truths bring us back to you. And so we thank you for a worship team that works hard to put truth in front of us. We thank you for elders who work hard in the word to put us in front of truth. We thank you for a church family that desires the word and studies the word, Lord. Continue to make this church a beacon of your truth, for your glory, for your good. Lord, we thank you that you have assembled us here together. We're from all walks of life. We've said this many times, Lord. We probably would not be friends if it was not for the gospel. And yet now we are family members. And we love one another. And we hurt when others hurt. And we rejoice when others rejoice. And so we thank you for the body of Christ that meets here at Riverbend Community Church. We ask that you bless it, Lord, for your good, for your glory, Lord. Use us in the furtherance of the gospel. Use us in changing times. Make us a lighthouse for your truth, Lord. Father, we thank you for our missionaries that have been supported through here for years. We have preached the same message, the unchanging, the timeless truth of the gospel around the world. We pray that you would give them favor and give them strength. Help them today, wherever they may be, Lord. Father, we pray for more missionaries. We pray that there's some even in this room who, who are wrestling with the call to go to the mission field. We pray that you would strengthen them to follow that. Father, we pray for each and every one that's represented here that knows Jesus Christ. As the pressure to compromise more and more hits the church, hits individual Christians, that we would lovingly, graciously stand firm on your truth. And we would be missionaries in our own rights, each and every place that we proclaim. And so, Father, pray, we pray for our church, Lord, that we would stand up at the right time, all pointing to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and his all-sufficient word. Lord, now bless this message, Lord. It's your word, we pray, that goes forth, pierces our hearts, it challenges us, encourages us, exhorts us, and causes us to turn to you in a greater way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was desiring to preach this sermon around July 4th, but I was trying to finish the, the transfiguration in Mark chapter 9, and, and uh, I needed a double shot at that one. And then we had baptism, which was wonderful. I wouldn't gave that up. And so I come back to Romans chapter 13. As we think about our country, we think about where it's at, we think about our responsibility as Christians, um, and, and it's, it's always a passage that stimulates me. It, it convicts me. It pushes me. Uh, it's a passage that I have studied many, many times, and each and every time I learn from it. I think some of the reasons why it, 
is stimulating now is years of involvement with law enforcement in our churches down through the years. I truly believe that law enforcement and military is a calling of God. I'll show you that in the scripture. I think they're given to us as ministers of God. And so I've always wanted to honor them and recognize the work that they have done. I've always had the privilege of having many uh, military people in the churches that I've pastored that have gone to battle, um, who have uh, now sent their own sons and daughters to the military. And that has been great encouraging. And Gina and I are now experiencing that ourselves. And so it really resonates. I asked Pastor Jerry to help me get a list together of all the family members that are currently serving now. And, and we ran out about 20. And then we thought, well, what if we forget somebody? Someone might be upset. So there's at least 20 children or grandchildren of members of this church that are serving currently now with the military. And this passage really highlights their role and, and why God has sent them. I want to use my first point here, which is a timeless command to the church as really an introduction. Because it's interesting, this text, this chapter 13, particularly these first set of verses, they, they can at times seem like he all of a sudden shifted and just dropped this thought in there. But I want to prove to you this morning that he is holding to context. It is a letter. <laughs> He has not started a new letter. He is writing on uh, further what he has been teaching them. And I want to show you how this fits into a a truly, for us, a truly gospel-motivated church. And and why it's important that we support God's ministers of mercy that are out there. And so I hope that this encourages you today and challenges us as Christians of what our role is in society because we do have one. We are not to, to hide. We are not to blur ourselves into obscurity. We have a role in this society. And God wants to use that for his glory. So the first point is a timeless command to the church. And again, I want to use this as an introduction to this text. So why does Paul take up the instruction of governing authority right here in the middle of Romans? The great theological book, this book that teaches us the, the, the doctrines of grace and how we were saved and what God accomplished, the role of the church, and all of a sudden he drops this text in. And if you read through Romans 12, would you have expected him to take time to do this in chapter 13? Was there something he said Or something happened in Rome that was crucial that maybe God led him, the Spirit of God led him to write this way. I think there's several general reasons the issue needed to be dealt with. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, if you just look back a couple of, uh, one chapter back, maybe on the same page in your Bible, chapter 12, verse 2, Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. Could be translated this way. Do not be conformed to this age. The Greek word allows us that room to do that, this age. See, this is a fundamental command that put the church on collision with a secular society. (laughs) I mean, it just, that command put the church from the first century on in a collision with society. Paul said, do not be conformed to this world. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. 
That's the mark of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he told us. And so when Paul makes this command not to be conformed of it, even though we are in it, it makes a tension, doesn't it? And so the New Testament seems to kind of thrive a little bit on this tension between being an alien here, one who's, who is not, this is not our home, don't be conformed to this world, opposed to putting down roots here that are beyond what God wants us to put down. If you study your Bible at all, you see that tension. It's a healthy tension. You're not of this world. Be a good citizen. (laughs) This is not your home. I have something greater for you. But serve me here. Be vital. Be a part of the gospel community. Be part of this world in the fact that you are a light in a dark place. And so there's this healthy tension to be reminded that we are not part of this, but we are part of it. Do you see that in the scriptures? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.22, he says, To the weak I became weak. If you want to help someone who's weak, you have to understand them. You have to be a part of the situation, don't you? That I might win the weak. And then he says this statement, I have become all things to all men so that, I may, so that I may by all means save some. So Paul says, look, it's important that we integrate into the society without compromise. Does that make sense? This is a phrase we've used in our home for years, boys. Go out, work hard, don't compromise. Stand for truth. This is something we teach all the time in our home. You've heard me teach it here. We go into the world. You and I will go out there tomorrow, particularly most of you. You'll you'll go out to jobs, to relationships, to family, and you will be squarely in the world, but will you compromise? I think this is what Paul is trying to teach us through this letter. And we are here in this world, and we must adapt at some level, but we must not compromise. And the reason is, is Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 says you are citizens of a different kingdom. I love Philippians 3.20 and just jot it down and look at it later, a verse to memorize, but we have a a different home. I'm not an eternal citizen of planet earth as a Christian. I'm a citizen of a heaven, a kingdom of God's rule and reign. That's a great thing, isn't it? And yet, hey, all of us can say, man, there's times my roots are getting too deep here. I'm too affected by society, by politics, by things that go on. Anytime you, some of us who you may be one bent or another in your political things, you can feel your heart start to tighten up and you go, oh, why is it happening this way? More taxes, more this, more that, more. Ugh. Ooh, hold on. Just passing through. This is not my home. I have a Lord and a Savior that I serve. So the question of the church in Rome would naturally arise here. Well, how do we deal with Caesar? What should we think about Caesar? How do we support him or not? How does the tension between this alien position and this putting down roots position relate to governmental authority? And this is the same question they attack Jesus on, right? Mark chapter 12, we'll get to this in in a few weeks. Mark chapter 12, they come to him, it's a trap, they come to him and they say, well, shouldn't you be paying taxes? You know the story, right? Give me a coin. Whose face is on it? They said, Caesar. 
And you know Jesus' line. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and that to God the things that are God. Masterful. <laughs> Masterful comment. And that holds true today, and that push is still there today. Whom shall we pay or not pay? Whom shall we honor or not honor? And I want you to think about this because this, this is difficult at times when we think about our Christian relationship with our Heavenly Father, with our Lord Jesus Christ, and our relationship with the world. You have civil authorities that have come up to rise up and lead nations and rule, but at the same time, Romans chapter 8, verse 34 through 38, that tells us that Christ was risen from the dead and he sits at the right hand of the Father and he is our master. Isn't that true? And yet Paul writes, Romans chapter 13. Go a little farther with me and think about this. The issue for Christians is that Jesus Christ is supremely everything to us. And when he rose from the dead, he told his disciples and told us, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. You feel that tension? King of kings, Lord of lords. And yet, that includes every government in this world. He has authority over all of that. So the confession that Jesus is Lord was a political statement in their day. Remember, they had to come up and they had to be addressed. They had to either say, Caesar is Lord or die, basically. You know, we're not there yet. I know if you listen to too much talk radio, you might think we are. But that's not quite where we're at yet. They often said this. This is where the statement came from. It came from this time. This, right in this Roman church, probably many of these Christians that this letter was written to, had to learn to say, Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. We will make our stand there. We will honor you. We'll pay our taxes. We'll do what we need to do. But Jesus is Lord. Even at the death of Christ, you remember what was going on there as he was being tried by Pilate. And Pilate said, so what shall we do with your king? The Jewish crowd, do you remember what they cried out in John chapter 19, right around verse 15 or so? We have no king but Caesar. That's amazing. This nation that hated the rule of Rome, who hated the suppression, who wanted the Messiah to come so they could take over and push Rome out and defeat them and the kingdom of God could be set up at the death of the Messiah, the only one who could save them, they cry out, we have no king but Caesar. Complete rebellion against God. But these Christians, these followers of Jesus, they have another king. That's us. And we have our pilots and we have our government and they look at us and, and particularly when you think about this first century if you go back they're looking at these Christians they look at them as rebellious as treasonous and their leader must die in order, in order to disperse that we must strike the shepherd in order to disperse the sheep and that's what Satan led them to do but we have a risen savior He's risen from the dead, and he has become known as the King of kings, the Lord of lords. It'll be written on his thigh. That's what it'll be called in Revelation 19 when he appears. And he is king and Lord over all earthly governments. And yet, he says, submit. And yet, he says, submit. So when Paul says, for there is no 
authority except from God in our verse here, in verse 1. He is talking not just about God the Father, but also about God the Son, in that Christians know whatever authority is given to man has first been given by Jesus. I know that's difficult. <laughs> There's maybe some names going through your head right now and going, oh, is Christ part of that? Is Christ part of that? Think a little more context with me. Romans chapter 8, 35 through 30, uh, 35 through 38, the faithful subjects of King Jesus, are, it says, are being killed all the day long. I want to make sure you understand how difficult this passage is in the first century. Because we think it's difficult now, right? We don't like some things that go on in our government and society, right? But I want you to think about this. Romans 8, Paul's quoting the Old Testament. He says, we are being killed all the day long. And guess why they're, what they're being killed with? The sword... <laughs> Of the Lord, really, he's looking back at this passage, the ministers of God, they carry a sword, they're avengers, they're killing Christians. And yet the Bible says to submit to the government. It's, it's a contrary at sometimes when you read this. He goes on in Romans 8 and says, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, that's the rulers of Romans chapter 13, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, but submit to them. That's what he says. So how does God, how does the risen Christ relate to rulers who treat Christian like sheep to the slaughter? Romans chapter 13. <laughs> That's our text. So it's not coming out of nowhere, it's there, he's, he's tying this in. So when we go back to chapter 12 and catch up here as we catch the flow into 13, this governmental authority arises, but the immediate verses say that, therefore I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. I'm willing to offer my living and holy sacrifice to God. I'll even offer my own life in the culture that I live in for the Lord. It's quite a statement. And then he goes on. I just want you to keep, we'll try to get to Romans 13 here. In verse 9, look at it, it says, Let love be genuine. Verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. and uh, Bless and do not curse them. Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil. Verse 19, beloved, never avenge yourself. Verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Whew. We are talking first century slaughter of countless Christians by lions, by sword. It's burning by, um, you name it, they did it. And Paul has the gall to write Romans 13. Well, he is writing it by the inspiration of the Lord. And I think as you read chapter 12, we are left with somewhat breathless with the beauty of mercy. Mercy loves genuinely. Mercy gives to the needs of others. Mercy has the ability to bless when you suffer. That's mercy. That's deep. Mercy has the ability to not throw stones when stones have been thrown at you. 
Mercy has the ability to feed those who seek to hurt you. Mercy has the ability not to avenge, but to trust God. You say, well, this sounds like some kind of pacifist, some kind of Quaker movement. (laughs) This is the result of people who love the gospel. And though we stand for truth, and you're going to hear more of this as I go along, we stand for truth and we stand for things that would oppose the word of God, and we do that in the right way. We'll talk about that in a minute. There is a surrendering to God's plan here. And his ways are not our ways. Is that true? Because there's a few people down through time I would not have put into the highest office in the world. I would have chose somebody different. But he is always at work to bring about his will. I want to just one more comment as we move into our points here. I want you to think about this because I'm going to bring this out several times. Rebellion veils the clarity of the gospel. Did you get that? Rebellion veils the clarity of the gospel. When Christians who live in a fallen world rebel, rebel against parents, rebel against law enforcement, rebel against military, rebel against local and and national government, we veil the gospel. And I think this is what Paul's after. He wants Jesus Christ known. He He said, I'm determined to know nothing. No, I'm to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified, 1 Corinthians 2.2. 2. And so he's willing to lay down personal preference for the glory of Christ. And the question is, are we? Let's look at our second thought here now as we jump into the text. Christians are called to submit to the governing authorities. Look at verse 1. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. Every person. The idea of the word means every soul. Every human being, and I think he is specifically after Christians in this text. And wouldn't that be true? Because most non-Christians do not look, <laughs> I don't think any of them look to the word of God as all-sufficient, all-perfect, inerrant. We do. So I think the text is for us. And this is genuine honor and respect for authority. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. This is genuine honor and respect for authorities. See, there's a bigger goal here. Paul wants to reach everyone with the gospel. He does not want, he he knows God is sovereign. He knows God saves. No one can come to the Father except this Lord draws him. He understands that. He knows he knows this from the foundations of the world. But he does not want to cause people to stumble. And so he challenges this church in Rome to to submit. And and just think about what they're going through. This, This is one of the most persecuted churches of all time. They're in the heart of the operations of the world at that time. They're slaughtered for sport. They're also connected with the rebellious movement of Judaism. Peter came out of that, right? He always had a dagger on him because he was part of that rebellion. So when he pulls that thing out the night before Christ's death, is he hasn't given up on that rebellion yet. So there's a rebellious movement of of Judaism. Well, Christians are caught up in that. And in AD 55, they're all kicked out. The Jews and the Christians are kicked out of Rome. 
And it's fascinating thoughts. We don't have time to track this down, but Apollos gets caught up in that kicking out, and Priscilla and Aquila catch up with him, and Corinthians, and they share the gospel with him, help him get his understanding of, of the resurrection, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and he goes on to be a great preacher, but he was kicked out. He was kicked out of Rome. Now, you say, well, Scott, could this text, could this text be simply for the Christians in Rome? And we, it doesn't really apply to us as much. Well, then we got a kind of a hermeneutical problem there. Then the word of God is just we just take what we think applies to us. Uh, no, the word of God from cover to cover is sufficient for all the things. And if, that, if that's not enough for you, well, listen to First Peter chapter 1. Peter, apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are the chosen. Then chapter 2, he takes on, his, he, verse 13, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution, institution whether to, to a king as one in authority or to governments as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do what's right. I'll come back to this text in a minute, but it is just mirroring what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 13. And so Paul, Peter here, speaks to this church that's scattered it's in northern Galatia. It's just below the Black Sea, a place where Paul was not allowed to go. The Spirit did not allow him to go, but he sent Peter there. And all the known world is hearing the gospel, and they're saying the exact same thing to these people. 1 Peter chapter 3 says, For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what's right versus what's doing wrong. So believers are to be, listen to this, believers are to be a model citizen. We should be known for our, our law-abiding behavior. Obedient, not rebellious, respecting, not disrespecting. And I know it's difficult. When you see that car with the little woo-woos on the top, ooh, put that phone down. <laughs> but this text tells us that's a minister of God whether you like it or not. That's what he is. And so Christians are to read this, and here's what God was doing. He's, he's infiltrating the entire church, scattered all over the place, not just the church in Rome, to tell us that we are to be model citizens. We are certainly to speak out against biblical injustices. When we see something that is against what God says, we are to speak out. We're not to do that in a sinful way or, or work in just sinful, sinful ways against those things, but we certainly should stand up against those things. I, I hate from the core of my being abortion. I, I just, it, it goes against everything God has set up. And so I willingly preach against those things but I don't go blow up abortion clinics. I don't hunt down those people. But I pray, I pray that women will come under conviction of the life that God has put in their womb. And you plead with God and you, you, you support pregnancy centers and warms and ministries to those women and you do everything you can because we stand against that evil. And yet we do not cross the line and take things into our own hands. See, God desires godly behavior in a godless society. Let me say that again. God desires godly behavior in a godless society. That's what Romans 13 is about. And you and I, as Christians, 
in 2019 are in that godless society now in a lot of ways. And he desires for us to be godly. It is often the tool he uses to further the gospel. You know how hard, in some cases, you read some church history, how hard it was to kill Christians? Some couldn't do it. Some had to remove themselves because they looked at these people who had loved them and offered them cold cups of water, who had only blessed them and prayed for them as they now were about ready to slaughter their family. This has happened down through the first century all the way through the Reformation. Godly people in a godless society preaching the gospel. That's his goal. Now, how do you do that? Well, notice it says subjection. Every person is to be in subjection. It's the Greek word hupotasso. It's a beautiful word. It's connected to military, and you submit to the one above you. Everybody has one above you, right? There's no one that doesn't have someone, no earthly person doesn't have someone above us. But it's, it's interesting, it's a passive imperative, so it means it's a command. You, this is a command from God, but yet it's passive in that, that fact that Christians willingly, we place ourselves under the authority of the local national government, under the authority of military, under the authority of law enforcement. We willingly do that by God's command. And, and again, I want to prove to you this isn't just a Roman thing. It's just not a Peter thing. Paul taught Timothy this. He said, Timothy, first of all, 1 Timothy 2.1, first of all, then I urge you that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of men for kings and all who are in authority. Now, now let me just stop right there. Timothy's mentor is in prison. And Paul's saying, I know your temptation is not to pray for these men who hold me captive, but I want to tell you God has me here for a reason. There are people in Caesar's palace getting saved because I'm here. So Paul's ministry, which was dynamic and widespread, now all of a sudden got shut down to a prison ministry. And yet God is doing amazing things. And he says, for kings and for all in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life life in, a, in all godliness and dignity. And then he adds this to this. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. And so this all has been, this isn't a, a verse of universalism. Paul's not saying he wants, you know, everybody's going to get saved here. The all goes back to all peoples including those who hold the highest offices in our country. And if, if Christians aren't going to stand for the gospel, who will? And so he urges him to be under their authority. I, I love this term, uh, this quiet life. It's said in several passages, tranquil and quiet life. Again, there are some groups that take this to a passivity level that I don't think the Bible is talking about. But what it simply means is we're not out in the middle of everything causing problems. We're, we're part of the, the solution. <laughs> Why do you guys love the law enforcement around here and open your building to them and let them use your property? Because God tells us to submit to them and they're ministers of God and, and they're important to what he's doing. And so if it's important to what God's doing, it's important to us. Do we agree with every decision the local law enforcement makes? Probably not. <laughs> I didn't agree with that ticket. But we support them because God does. 
Titus, he told Titus very similarly. He says, Titus chapter three, verse one and two, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. To the Thessalonica church, Paul said this, but we urge you, brethren, to excel still more and make your ambition to live a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you so that you will behave properly towards outsiders and not be in any need. Christians should not be a pain in the tail end when it comes to society. We should be a helpful part of it. We should be involved in our communities, involved in outreach to things that are going on, basketball camps, VBSs, Harvest Fest, going down to, to the casements, all the little things that you see us doing. Don't blow that off as this as well. I don't know what they're trying to do. Maybe they're just trying to get more people here. Our goal is to be a part of God's plan. Our goal is to be a part of the outreach of the gospel. It's not just something because that's what churches do. I don't know what other churches do. We want to be part of this community. We want the gospel to go first. We want to be a part of Jerusalem and then Judea, then Samaria, then the other ends of the earth. And if we don't start it and do it here, why would God ever let us do it overseas? See why we do that? It's a furtherance of the gospel. It can be done. The early church did it. And they did it with swords to their heads and lions starving. They did it in difficult circumstances. The Old Testament saints did it. Joseph, we were studying our Wednesday night right in the middle of uh, Genesis 41. Joseph is elected to be second in command and really he, was, he, he really did everything the whole nation and the nations of the world needed. He, he made himself available. And one of the things we marked in that text was when Joseph got his shot, he did not stand up and say, Here's what I have a problem with all that you people did. You threw me into prison. You let illegal charges be thrown against me. I sat there and rotted. Everybody forgot about it. And I'm not telling you to dream to you. Make it right. He didn't do that. He said, God has raised me up for this time. I will tell you what he gives the interpretation. He did not build his own platform. He did what God did and never compromised. He lived within an Egyptian culture so much that his brothers didn't even recognize him. He lived within that culture and he did what God asked him to do. And in the end, God saved, think about this, God saved the seed of Christ through the actions of Joseph. Because Judah and his brothers were brought into the midst in the land of Goshen and there was protected. Another example, Daniel. And you think Joseph's ministry was pretty incredible. Think about Daniel's. He goes through three administrations. Top guy in three administrations, no compromise. Working for godless pagan governments without compromise. How about his three friends? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We honor you, king, but we won't compromise here. And you can throw us in there, and our Lord can save us and rescue us, but if he does not, we will still not bow the knee to you, respectively, sign Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. <laughs> and God delivered them. How about early church? Acts chapter four, verse 19 through 20, Peter and John are arrested for preaching the gospel again, and Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than God, you be the judge. <laughs> they knew, they knew the answer. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Very respectful, no compromise. Sorry, you're going to have to put us back in jail because we're going to preach. That's what we do. 
we believe the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, our resurrected Lord Jesus told us to go preach the word, preach the gospel to all the nations. And we're doing that. We're not hurting you. This is for the betterment of society. And we don't really care what you think at this point. We're doing that. Respectfully. (laughs) And we see this happen. And it's amazing. So if you rebel, and here's the point here. If you rebel, you rebel against God. And in a sense, you veil the clarity of the gospel. And one of the most difficult things is when Christians fight among themselves, fight in society, fight against government, fight against law enforcement, fight against all kinds of things, and then they say, oh, well, Jesus loves you. Really? So let's not veil those things. We honor and submit to governing authorities because God's word tells us to, and we know it leads to truth. Third thought, government authority is divinely granted. We'll pick up the pace here now. It's very clear. Now these verses become very clear. It's not hard to translate this, is this? For there is no authority, end of one, except from God. And those which exist are established by God. You don't have to go to seminary to figure out what that says, do you? There's nothing hidden there. Every human government is ordained by God. You go, ooh, hold on. Well, wait a minute. Yes, it exists in many forms down through time and even today. But it exists because God placed the authority on those men, on those people, on those women in their positions as he so desired. You say, well, I have a problem with that. Well, you gotta talk to the text first. You say, well, what about those who've done such evil? I was in Russia years ago, and I was out, way out kind of in the rural areas, the farming area, and I met with a, a large group of people out there who had really suffered, and most of their, most every one of them had a man in their family who disappeared and was sent off to Siberia, and they'd never seen him Again, it was interesting talking to them about the authority of the government. And they said, God has placed them there. We don't understand it. We wish he would have done something different, but we, we submit. And it costs their loved ones their life. But see, this is what God did. Psalm 61, 11, once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1, the king's heart is like a channel of water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he wishes. And so faith teaches us to believe this, that God can take very difficult men, even godless men, and he still has control over the evils and all of the things that go on. They are responsible for the evil, not God, but God is still in control, and he brings about things. Just read missionaries. Read Hudson Taylor. Read what he says about the Boxer Rebellion and all the atrocities that happened to the particularly Christians in China before he got there, which was later what would establish his ministry upon. It's amazing. And, and that's not what he would have designed, but that's what God did. And so we, by faith, believe God's still in control. And at times, submissioning to government authorities is difficult, but God reminds us, I place them there. Acts chapter 20, verse 27 says, having determined their appointed times and boundaries. So God places them there. They're for us. And this is why we, Christians, submit to authority. Whether that's law enforcement, supporting them, our military. And, and again, everything the law enforcement and military have done is not perfect, and there's problems, isn't there? 
but we support it because they're God's hand. There's God's hand of authority. And God knew after the fall of sinful man that we would need it. Think, think about this. Man falls. First kids do what? Kill each other. You don't think this world needs law enforcement? Uh, this week, I don't know if you heard this, that there were certain Starbucks that were kicking law enforcement out of their Starbucks because there was people there that felt uneasy. Ooh, we're coming to some very difficult verses for those people. If you do what's right, if you do what's right, why are you afraid? See, we do what's right according to God's standard, and, and we shouldn't be afraid of those things. You say, well, how do Christians go through persecution, watching their family run through with swords or devoured by lions? Because they do what's right. And there's a mercy that falls upon them, and there's a grace that falls upon them, and you say, Scott, I don't know if I could do that if God asked me to do it. You could do it, because you won't do it. God will do it. And he'll strengthen you. And it's been proven over and over and over and over. God strengthens those who trust in him in the most difficult situations. You want to handle things on your own? You want to muscle up and sole a bootstrap yourself? Have fun. Because you're going to fret, worry, and fall apart. But when we surrender ourselves to God, he gives you the grace and mercy to go through the most difficult things. Four, rebellion is against God and draws his wrath. Look at verse two down through five. Therefore, whoever resists authority has oppose the ordinances of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have, uh, do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good. And you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. And it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings the wrath on the one who practices. Well, notice the therefore there. So if God, therefore, establish it, rebellion against it is sin. Pretty easy hermeneutic there, exegest. Therefore, if God establish it and we rebel against it, it is sin. And that's why the therefore is there in verse 2. Don't resist this. Remember in chapter, uh, Numbers chapter 16, this has been a problem down through man's time. Uh, Numbers chapter 16, Korah and 250 people come up and oppose Moses. Do you remember the story? What a story. Uh, hey, you, we're godly people too, and we don't want to we don't want to lead you anymore. We don't want you leading us anymore. We really don't want anything to do with this. We're godly people. We're God's people over here. We don't want your leadership. I said, okay, well, um, well, you and your little group, uh, we'll show up tomorrow, and we'll see what God says. Do you remember what happens here? The earth swallows up those people. I, I mean, if I'm there, I'm going, uh, yeah, I'm not a part of this group anymore. <laughs> That's not what happens. If you read the text, 14,700 people stood with them after they swallowed up and a plague takes them. Rebellion is contagious. 
And let me talk to just young people in here for a moment. Please be patient with your pastor. I love you to death. Do not follow this rebellious movement of these young people. Rebellion will kill you. It'll kill your relationships. It'll kill your workplace. It'll kill so many things. Because that's what rebellion does. That's why Satan introduced it to rebel against God. Please be careful. And we're not just a bunch of old people telling you that. I'm telling you that from the Bible. Rebellion will kill you. And there's such a movement within our country where rational thought is out the window because there's such a hate with authority. You go, yeah, it's never been like. Well, let's talk about the 60s, so older people in here. Because we're not banging on younger people at all. Some of you went through it. I was born in it. Not that old. What a rebellious time. And if you don't think that's good, you can go back through history and mark time after time after time where certain groups of society have risen up in rebellion and each time God squelches that rebellion. And he will continue to do that and though it'll look disastrous in some cases because governments have really hurt Christians at times, we will come out of it because we belong to the Lord. But I promise you rebellion brings disaster. And if you're in here and you're just a young person who's rebelling against your parents, confess that as sin and repent. If you've bought some of the junk out there and think that a law enforcement guy is the bad guy and and you look at them or the military, read this text. Read this text and fight fight those feelings that may come in. God always deals with rebellion against his leadership. He always deals with it. Notice the end of verse 2, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. You want to get under the hand of God real quick? Rebel against his authority that he's put in your life. I mean, that goes, that goes down from teacher, parents, pastors, elders, government, lawyers, I mean, whatever. I mean, just think about what that is, right? We have all kinds. Everybody has authority. I have authority in my life. I submit to our elders or our church. I submit to the God. Every one of us submit. It'll bring condemnation upon you. God opposes sin, and he often uses law enforcement, military, and others to work out that. I wrote in my notes, God's wrath sometimes comes with cuffs or military force. 3A, look at this, uh, beginning of 3, for rulers are not the cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. I love this verse. Rarely does good behavior bring punishment. Rarely. There are times, we've marked them in church history, certainly this church, Roman church, hit, hit it pretty hard. There are times, but if you think about all of the good times in the last 2,000 years since the resurrection of our Lord, and you add up how free the church has been out of most of the time on an average day, day after day, you get up and do as you please. We're pretty, pretty blessed, aren't we? And so rarely does good behavior bring about punishment. Simply do what's right, and you don't have to look over your shoulder. Isn't that true? That's what the Bible's saying here? Do what's right. You're a child of God. Your Father loves you. Do what's right. I, I mean, I'm making it as simple as I can. You're a child of God. The Father loves you. Do what's right for His glory. When you feel your heart wanting to do evil, 
Say, Lord, I feel my heart. I feel my flesh pulling me in a way. Help me not go there. I know that doesn't honor you. Help me not let rebellion build up. Please, Lord, keep me from those things. Paul said in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 12, that he prayed for them that they'd be filled with knowledge and spiritual wisdom so that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in every respect. See, that's the role of Christians. Notice the end of the verse 3 in the 4. Do you, want to, do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good. And you will have praise from the same. Right? I was talking to a, a law enforcement officer the other day, and he said, you know, we, times we, we have pulled people over, we scare the tar out of them, but we pull them over just to thank them. That's pretty nice. We don't see that a whole lot. They're always, there's so many problems out there, they don't get to do that. But they're grateful. Law enforcement's grateful. Right now, they're like, they don't know when you approach them if you're going to shoot them or you're going to swear at them or ask them to leave your restaurant. Wave to them. Thank the Lord for our military young people from this church. They're scattered all out. I was just talking to one of the dads today. He knows where he's deployed at. We just heard where our, second, our other son does, is put this now. And Cannon's leaving. You just, you know, it's, it's overwhelming to his parents. We have a lot of, ooh, like, okay, Lord, God, trust you here. But... Thank the Lord. And the men and women in this building that have served is staggering to me. Thank the Lord for your service, the ministers of God. One, I don't have time to do this, but this same phrase, see this phrase that's in here, why, do you, why would you be afraid if you do what's right? Uh, Genesis, you can look this up on your own. Genesis chapter four. Cain's killed his brother. You remember the scene? God shows up. Hey, where's your brother? You remember a smart aleck remark he makes? Am I my brother's keeper? To the Almighty. Pre-incarnate Christ, this is who I think it is, says this, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? It's almost the same. If you do good, what do you have to fear? Why, why are your countenance fall? Why are you acting the way you're acting if you've done what's right? We know our children, don't we? <laughs> you can always tell. I mean, ours are grown now, but boy, you can tell. Hmm, that kid's been into something. <laughs> See, we can't hide it. And yet, now, today, it's blamed upon everyone else. Verse 5, uh, end of 4, just for you young people, they stole this in these movies an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. They stole it. Marvel stole it. Don't give them any credit. God brings avengers. Finally, just, I'm out of time, five, and let me just sum some of this up. In six and seven, he says, uh, pay your taxes because of the gospel, six and seven. For because of this, you also pay taxes for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them. Taxes to whom taxes is due. Customs to whom customs do. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. So for the same reason, you also pay taxes. 
For the authorities are God's ministers attending to the very things. And so he's, he's, he's trying to make us well-rounded, godly citizens here. So pay all to what is owed. Pay taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to re- revenue is owed, Paul's saying. Respect to whom re- respect and honor those who need to be honored. And as Christians, our goal is the great commission. We are to go in the world and preach the gospel. So out of all of the behaviors Paul might have used to illustrate submission, he uses this. We go, oh, Lord. Yes, and you think our taxation is unfair. Can you imagine what it was like in the first century? Can you imagine what it was like in Old Testament times? And yet he says, this is one of the ways we show our submission to God. And so we, I I wouldn't sit here and say, well, just give him extra. (laughs) He was an accountant, he'd be smart. Don't give more than they ask for, but give. This honors God. And so, so this whole issue, let me just wrap this up. It comes right back to the Jewish leaders, what they asked Jesus Christ. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes? And Paul's bringing it right back. Give to Caesar's what's Caesar's. Give to God what's God's. So after 20 years since that question was asked, probably 20 to 25 years in Jesus' ministry, the question comes right back around and Paul says, Yes, pay taxes to Christ-denying secular government. Yes, pay taxes. And remember, God's love is the motivation for obedience. And then just close out these last couple verses real quick. He says, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. And then he gives a list, certain commands. Look what he picks here. For this, you shall not commit adultery. That could be against your neighbor. You should not murder. That really hurts your neighbor relationship. You shall not steal. That breaks out too. You shall not covet. He's talking about neighborly things here, right? So he's saying, look, if we don't engage in paying our taxes and being good citizens, Christians who are good citizens around here, you will not love your neighbor. Notice in the, in the nine, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighborhood, to a neighbor, right? It, so therefore, love fills, fulfills the commands of God, the law of God. And so he's talking about this is part of what we do. Is it difficult to live next to somebody who doesn't abide by the law? How you, you, like, you like that neighbor? They're not fun. They're doing drugs over there, all kinds of things going on. It's just a mess, right? Not good for society. We are to be just the opposite. You're to be a good neighbor. Someone that your neighbor can trust where they know you love them. Why? Because you have the best news in the world they could ever hear. That's the goal. Look at verse 11 and 12. Do this knowing that the time that is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than, it, than when we believed. You see, I got saved in 1970. It's 2009. Yep, it's closer. The Lord's, uh, it's closer. It's coming. He's coming. Will he find us faithful in a godless society? That's what he's looking for, and that's what these verses are about. Verse 12, the night is almost gone. The day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Verse 13, let us behave properly as a day, not carousing and drunkenness and sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. That's so many problems, isn't it, in the world? There's so much strife and jealousy. Well, where'd you get the new car? 
you know, neighbors, you know, I'm afraid to bring a new car home because they think you won the lottery. I don't know. Everybody's strife and jealousy everywhere. We're not that way. And then look at verse 14, and we'll cap it with this. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. Lord, you're all I have. If I lost everything, they can't take you from me. So I will submit to whatever you ask me to. And I will look for the gospel opportunities with my children, with my coworkers, with my neighbors, with my law enforcement, with my military friends, whatever it may be, I look for the opportunity. Help me do good in a godless world. Amen? Father, this is good. We need to hear this. We're moving into new times, new waters for us, many of us, Lord. We pray that you would cause us to be found faithful regardless of what society does, Lord. May we honor the king. May we submit to government. May we pay our taxes. May we do this knowing that we look forward to the opportunity to share the gospel. Knowing that you are still saving people. You're still collecting people. You're still gathering in your family, your herd, your sheep. You're still doing that. And we can be a part of that, Lord, unless we rebel. And so, Lord, help us fight rebellion. Lord, I pray for the young Christians, not so much young as a newly saved, but, but our younger aged people. There's many in here, Lord. They're, they're a wonderful group, God. Father, we need another wave coming from them who loves Christ more than they love what society thinks. Lord, raise up these people. I pray for our elderly, Lord, in this room that they would stand firm lovingly and, and, and joyfully and and, and yet they would be an encouragement to the younger people. Lord, this is what you've called the church to be made up of, all kinds of walks of lies, ages and maturities, and, and so that we could bring glory to you, Lord. Father, I close with this. Thank you for our law enforcement in Ormond Beach. We pray for them, keep them safe. I pray that there's no harm done to them, Lord, that they are your ministers. And I pray that you would do right through them, Lord. We pray for those in the military those leaving for the military, those that we love dearly, Lord, thank you for their willingness to serve us in this way, Lord. Please give them opportunity to excel for your glory and that your name will be upon their lips, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.